Turn with me again this morning to uh, the Gospel of Mark. As we continue through this book, nearing the end here. We'll be sharing the Lord's Supper together this morning, and normally when we do that, I'll uh, at the table share some further thoughts, topical reflection, and so on for us during the Lord's Supper. Um, apart from the sermon. Today, I'm really intending that this passage, this sermon, would direct our thoughts during the Lord's Supper, Um, so I won't really say more at that point. Um, So let's um, hear this word in in connection with our celebrating the Supper this morning as well. Uh, Mark 15, I'll read the first 20 verses here as we've come uh, up against uh, the crucifixion that we'll, we'll come to next week. On Jesus' trial before Pilate. Hear God's word. Early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you say. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. And Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. A man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the the insurrectionists who had committed a murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them and said, Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. And wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling and bowing before him. And after they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him, put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And our reading there this morning. The trial and crucifixion of Jesus uh, under Pilate is attested not only in the four Gospels, uh, interestingly, and of course in other, many and various other Christian sources um, in that day, uh, but also other uh, non-Christian sources of that day. Josephus, who was a, a sort of Roman sympathizing Jewish historian, very important for understanding Um, Any historian's understanding of the first century um, records Jesus' trial before Pilate. Uh, Tacitus, who was a Roman historian at the same time, uh, also records uh, this trial before Pilate and Jesus' death. Uh, These events are not really historically disputed. Um, So if you look up even the Encyclopedia Britannica, it lists... um, some things fairly matter-of-factly under Jesus. A Jewish figure of the first century, it says he became 
uh, you know, leader of one of the major world religions. Uh, he ministered for a brief time, uh, went to Jerusalem at a certain time during the Passover, and things got stirred up, and he was killed. The end. But our faith, of course, rests on the objective fact that there was, there was much more involved in this scene than just a trial of a religious figure. Uh, that, in fact, these are the central events of all of history and the key to man's salvation. This is the revelation of God's love and his salvation for his people, the justice of God, the way of salvation for sinners. We uh, confess with Peter, as Peter was praying later in Acts chapter 4 about these events, Peter said, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, Herod and Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand, Lord, your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So this was God's plan uh, playing out even here. I want simply this morning to walk through this scene again briefly, understand the story, and then see some pieces here that point us clearly to the meaning of Jesus' suffering, uh, his trial and death. Uh, his death that we'll come to next week. Jesus had, as we saw last week, his trial before the Sanhedrin, sort of his ecclesiastical trial. The Sanhedrin didn't always have authority to execute people uh, that they have convicted. Uh, they needed Rome to do that. Uh, it would also contribute to uh, you know, shame and discredit and putting down Jesus' followers if uh, Rome's conviction was behind all of this. Rome was the one who carried this out. Um, and so Jesus is taken to Pilate, uh, and, and Mark's account, um, all of the Gospels tell us about this trial before Pilate. Mark's is the shortest by far. Um, it doesn't include the account of uh, Pilate having a dream. It doesn't ac- include Jesus' extended um, conversation with Pilate about authority and so on. That's not here in Mark. Uh, it doesn't include Pilate's hand washing, and so some of the, fa- some of the um, familiar uh, things to, from the other Gospels are, are not here. Uh, but Pilate, his, his position was prefect. Uh, that is, he was basically a governor. He was the governor of Judea. Um, he didn't live at Jerusalem, uh, but it's almost certain that he was there because it was Passover time. It was required that when Jerusalem was just uh, very, very full uh, of pilgrims during Passover and, you know, revolutionary fever could be running high and, and dangers for Rome uh, were, were more present, uh, that he was there. Uh, he ruled from 26 to 37, the, the year, so about 11 years. Emperor Caligula banished him eventually for, for a decision that he made. Um, Pilate seems to have been a strong ruler. He didn't necessarily mind antagonizing the Jews uh, with, with his decisions at times. Uh, but he also dealt with a number of... Um, Times where the Jews pushed back in a powerful way that surprised him, and he uh, backed down uh, because of the strength of the, of the protest. And that, of course, relates to his behavior here. Uh, Mark doesn't include the charge that's brought to Jesus. So the Sanhedrin brings Jesus to Pilate, and you know they have to have a reason. They're asking him to be killed. Um, Luke tells us what, what they said. It says, They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, they made that up apparently, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. 
Um, and that's, that's implied in Mark uh, 15.2 here, the first question that Pilate has, are you the king of the Jews? They had told him he thinks he's a king. And, and this, of course, would be a particular interest to Rome. The, the charge that tripped the Sanhedrin was blasphemy, right? That Jesus was claiming to himself the prerogatives and the honor of God himself. But when they come to Pilate, they sort of translate that into what, what would concern Rome, he's claiming to be a king, right? This is a threat to Roman sovereignty. Um, Rome would probably be aware of the, how the, the political and military connotations of the Messiah had grown and grown over the years. It was expected the Messiah would come in and, and uh, deal with Rome and get rid of them. So Pilate questions Jesus, and um, again, the other Gospels attest to a, a longer and a varied conversation with, with Pilate than what we have here. But, but the basic result is that Jesus doesn't strike Pilate as a, as a revolutionary, uh, someone who's trying to usurp authority and, and run a revolution against Rome. Pilate has dealt with his fair share of insurrectionists in his time in power, and uh, Jesus just doesn't match the type, either in his the record of his, his ministry or in his demeanor. Uh, and so Pilate doesn't want to execute Jesus. You know, let's, let's save that for people who are real threat and, and make it count is probably his thinking. Um, verse 10 tells us he knew the Jewish leaders were just jealous of Jesus, and, and he doesn't want to bend to their selfish whims here. Um, but they're pretty fired up about it. Pilate seems to think he needs some, some support to uh, let Jesus off. Um, he probably knows that Jesus has a significant following or, or has had, and so he turns to the crowds. And uh, there's apparently this tradition to release a prisoner, someone that crowds demand each year at Passover, uh, and so he decides to use this opportunity and gives the crowds the, the opportunity to override the Sanhedrin and demand Jesus' release, um, which he, he seems to think will happen, but the plan backfires. The, the chief priests manage to stir up the crowds against Jesus um, and chanting for Barabbas to be released. Um, and, and so that's what happens. It's just as sort of an astride, it's, it's a striking and hard to explain phenomenon how the crowds in Mark's account just four days earlier, five days earlier, could acclaim and celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And now they're, they're shouting and chanting that he be crucified. And Mark doesn't give a, an explanation for that. There's been a couple of different guesses at that. Um, one is that maybe these are different crowds. Um, maybe the crowd at, at the triumphal entry was pilgrims that had come down from, from Galilee and other places. These were, were you know, especially pious people. They traveled for weeks to be in Jerusalem they were the ones that had seen Jesus' ministry in Galilee. They're the ones celebrating him as he comes in. And now these Jews who are up early in the morning with the Sanhedrin hanging around with them, it's, it's not the same people. Um, that, that's possible. Um, but it could also just demonstrate how fickle the crowds were. Uh, that, that's certainly something demonstrated in Mark's gospel, in the gospels. Um, that their following Jesus was superficial. It was subject to change all along. Uh, and Mark simply calls them the crowds again. He, do, he doesn't give us any indication it's a different group of people. But anyway, Pilate relents, keeps Jesus, releases another prisoner, 
Verse 15 says he had Jesus scourged or flogged, as your, your translation might have. This is a, a really actually part of the process of crucifixion. This was always done when someone was crucified. And Josephus, the historian, tells us how this worked. The, the prisoner was, was stripped of their clothes, then tied to something, to a pole or something, um, and a leather whip that was, that was filled with bits of bone and metal and lead and so on was used to flog the prisoner. And it, it, because of how it was made, it, it ripped away flesh and, and often exposing bone. And the, the purpose of it really was because crucifixion tended to take a long time. It could take days and days to actually kill someone. Um, and this was to shorten that. If you put someone on the cross who was already brutalized and had lost a lot of blood, it wouldn't take so long. And um, it was so brutal, Josephus tells us, that, that women were forbidden from ever receiving this treatment. And in fact, they were forbidden from ever even watching it. Um, this is what Jesus endures. And after that, he's taken by Roman soldiers who have their time mocking him, playing off the idea that he's a king. Um, they dress him in purple. That's the most expensive dye and, and represented royalty here. Beating him further, spitting on him, interspersed with bowing and hailing him as king, uh, all before he's led off to crucifixion, verse 20, uh, as it says in verse 20. Well, that's the account here. I, I want you to see then that there's much more here than just a recounting of how Jesus came to be crucified, uh, how the trial went. And I want us to, that, that's sort of the big picture. I want us to sort of zoom in on, on three points briefly in this story to see clearly the meaning of his suffering and subsequent death. So the first of those is Jesus' silence. Jesus' silence. We saw this last week with this Sanhedrin, Jesus' refusal to speak, refusal to respond, to engage with this injustice and the false accusations. He doesn't argue or, or plead his case uh, verse 4, again, Pilate questioned him, saying, Do you not answer? Verse 5, but Jesus made no further answer. And we, again, we talked about this last week. Jesus is not silent because he's defeated, because they finally got him. But he's submitting to the Father's will. In fact, his own will. Right, to die willingly for his people. And this is, again, exactly as is prophesied. Uh, in Isaiah of the suffering servant who was to come. Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I just zoom back out for a second. Think about the timing of this, of this whole scene. You know, God could have brought Jesus into the world anytime, 500 years earlier or 500 years later. Um, why now? Why around 33 AD? Why, why this scene? I think we can conclude this, this represents the official rejection of Jesus by the whole world. Uh, think about the somewhat unique situation that Jesus is in here. It's a time when God's people, Israel, and the world power uh, of the time are together in Jerusalem. 
And, and so Jesus has his trial in the night by, by official Israel, by God's people. And then the following morning is, is, is tried uh, by the Gentiles, the world, the most powerful nation in the earth. And rejected and condemned by both. Again, Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter's prayer is a commentary on these events. Uh, Peter quotes Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. That's, that's Psalm 2. Uh, Peter sees here, he goes on, For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, but to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This was, this was the will of God, the timing of God. This was the way of salvation for sinful people. That a righteous man, a righteous king, had to die in the place of sinners. And Jesus' silence identifies him as a, a willing sacrifice. It identifies him with that suf- silent, suffering servant in Isaiah 53 and 50 and 52. Uh, the, the timing is also important because it's, it's the Passover. right? And when Isaiah looked forward to the suffering servant of the Lord, this silent lamb, he uses the language of of that Passover lamb that was staked out the day before Passover, uh, which is this day, um, about to have its throat slit and killed, this this lamb there for for Israel to come and see and inspect. If the lamb knew what was about to happen, of course it would be crying and tugging and, and trying to get away, but it doesn't know that. It's just being a little lamb, right? just waiting for what's next, calmly. That's what Isaiah compares the, the suffering servant, Jesus, to. Um, and yet Jesus knew, of course. Jesus agonized over what he was about to face uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, but he didn't protest. Uh, that's, that's how he's like the lamb. He was calm uh, and quiet because he loved the Father, because he loved you and me. Uh, he faced all this injustice with silence, with a perfect willingness. As one pastor put it, there's a sense in which if, if Jesus spoke, you and I are lost. He silently and willingly went to the cross. Note one more thing about his silence here. Uh, in verse 5, Mark says, So Pilate was amazed. Pilate was amazed by his silence. And um, he actually uses the same exact word in verse 44. Um, and it's not quite as clear in the NAS here, but if you have the ESV, for example, it says, Pilate was surprised, or again, it's the same word. Pilate was amazed that Jesus was already dead. So two times Jesus amazed Pilate by saying nothing and by dying so quickly. He was amazed Jesus didn't fight back against this whole process. And the accusations, he was amazed he didn't fight death longer. Again, points to his willingness and and the fact that even in silence, Jesus bore powerful witness to Pilate. Reminds us that that how we, particularly how we suffer, whether it's sickness or mocking or whatever it is, how we suffer bears powerful witness to others. Do we suffer with bitterness or anger or complaining uh, or with 
a quiet trust and patience in Jesus, um, as Jesus in his heavenly Father. So Jesus' silence points us to the significance of his death. Secondly, Jesus' substitution. His substitution. Consider the absurd substitution in this, in this story. The prisoner exchange here. Barabbas, we're told, is an insurrectionist, a murderer, a clear criminal with a, a damning record. And the people choose him. They exchange the perfect, innocent son of God for a true criminal. Uh, the wicked man goes free, an innocent man, the only truly perfectly good and righteous and loving and just man in history goes to brutal mocking and beating and shame and death. It's, it's an absurd choice, right, this, this exchange. Uh, we, we reflexively hate stories of injustice like that, don't we? Uh, movies that end in unresolved injustice. In fact, those are extremely rare, right? We don't want to see that story. Um, even though it reflects reality, uh, we always want to see the happy uh, Disney ending. Um, in 2004, uh, in, in Florida, in Seminole County, which is near where we lived, uh, a man named Clemente Aguirre was convicted in a stabbing death of two of his neighbors uh, in 2004. And then he was sentenced uh, in court to death. And 14 years later, uh, multiple witnesses came forward uh, that pointed squarely to another suspect. This suspect had motive. This suspect had confessed multiple times to the murders, to, this, to these witnesses. Uh, and then DNA evidence confirmed uh, without a doubt, really, that this, this was the guilty man uh, and not Mr. Aguirre. And so just before Thanksgiving in, in 2020... Uh, all charges were dropped against him. Uh, this guy was a, a poor immigrant, American, legal immigrant, uh, and he was released. Uh, but after spending 16 years in jail, uh, his life wrecked, uh, years of shame, years away from his family and children, uh, locked away by the state of Florida on death row. And those stories make, make me sick and angry, right? You, you wonder, how could, you know, how could a judge, how could a prosecutor, how could a jury do this? Uh, just like stories of the guilty going free. But that's the, 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 the heart-wrenching absurdity of that scene, of this scene here. Jesus traded for Barabbas. This is your story. Right? You are a condemned sinner before God like Barabbas without hope, when the Son of God exchanged his misery, misery and shame and death for yours. And so I think the, the, Barabbas, the little Barabbas story here illustrates intentionally what Jesus was doing. Our salvation. Not that Barabbas was a man of faith and is now, now saved spiritually. But it illustrates that outwardly. We, we were enslaved to sin. Right? On death row, in, a, in essence, waiting for the final judgment of God, justly facing our fate. And, and it would be a terrible injustice if our sins against a holy God were simply let go. And, and we went free. But Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. Again, as Isaiah says, he took our place. He was counted as guilty. He, he faced the punishment of death and the curse of God that our sins deserve. Jesus traded places. Like he did with Barabbas, uh, with his people. 
Paul comments later, Romans 5, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, And Peter in 1 Peter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So just like that that Passover lamb, that, that same day that Jesus is suffering, that was a stand-in for God's people because of their sin. Uh, Jesus is the real and final sacrifice who stands in your place. This, this points to the worthiness of our Savior. Um, the crowds made an absurd choice. Right? They weren't consciously rejecting God or rejecting religion. Right? They thought themselves very religious, but, but Jesus wasn't the Savior they wanted. He didn't fit their mold. Uh, he didn't... They didn't want to repent or believe that they needed a suffering Savior for sins. People today continue foolishly to make that choice, right? To reject the true substitute for their damnation and and to reshape Jesus in their own image, make him what they want him to be. I came across a sad example of this a while back. Some of you would know uh, the name Tony Campolo, a well-known writer in, in the evangelical world, uh, his son is a youth pastor and wrote, wrote for the, the Journal of Student Ministries. And his, this, this youth pastor wrote in this journal, um, in, in an article, he, he's listing doctrines like the sovereignty of God and, and the justice of God for sin and Jesus as the only way to salvation. And then he writes this, If those things are true, God might as well send me to hell. For better or worse, I simply am not interested in any God but a completely good, entirely loving, and perfectly forgiving one. Such a God may not exist, but I will die seeking such a God, and I will pledge my allegiance to no other possibility because, quite frankly, anything less is not worthy of my worship. Please don't get me wrong. I'm well aware I don't get to decide who God is. What I do get to decide, however, is to whom I pledge my allegiance. I am a free agent. I have standards for my God. The first one is this. I will not worship any God who is not at least as compassionate as I am. And there, this youth pastor is rejecting Jesus and choosing Barabbas, shaping him in his own image. Jesus' substitution. Thirdly, Jesus' shame. Jesus' shame here points us to the meaning of his suffering. Uh, Lastly, zoom in with me here on on verse 15 and following. Um, I described earlier what it meant that Jesus was scourged, flogged before his crucifixion. I just want you to note that, that Mark is very brief. He simply mentions that it happened. Uh, the same with all of the gospel writers, uh, with, with this and with the cross itself. Um, there's no description of the horrors of it outwardly, physically. Um, and, and that's true of the entire New Testament. Uh, certainly, um, the, the readers of the day would have, would have understood better than we do what it, what it meant, but there's, there, nowhere is scourging or crucifixion detailed. There, there, there's no uh, sensationalizing uh, of the outward of gore and suffering that Jesus went there. The reality is there, but, but it's not the emphasis. There's, there's no emphasis on the outward horrors of flogging or, or of the cross, of physical suffering. The clear emphasis falls on the injustice, the mockery, and the internal agony of Jesus, like in Gethsemane, 
the, the, the wrath of the Father falling on the Son, his abandonment. That this, I think, points unmistakably to how misguided movies like The Passion are, others that all they can do is focus on sensationalizing the outward physical suffering of Jesus, which again was reality but distracts us from, passes over the emphasis of the word of God, uh, which is on the wrath of God falling on his own son in shame and, and um, uh, his suffering as, as a shamed criminal. This is what fully explains Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, anticipating the abandonment of his father and the wrath of his father. This is what fully explains his, his why have you forsaken me on the cross. But look again at how the soldiers treat him, mocking the idea that he's a king, that he's blessed of God. Again, the, the absurdity of this scene is, is indescribable. Um, they're doing this to their creator and their judge. Just consider the fact that Jesus, throughout this whole scene, as creator and God, continues to sustain the very life and breath of these men, which they turn around and use to to spit on him and mock him. Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheek to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Have you wrestled with the, the shame and the humiliation of this scene? Jesus was shamed and ridiculed so that you will never face the shame and ridicule and disgrace that your sins deserve. That's not to say that we won't and don't face consequences for our sins, for our bad choices in this life. We, we do. Um, you may be mocked for your faith in Christ as well. But on Judgment Day and, and for all of eternity, you will, despite your shameful thoughts, your disgraceful things you've said to others, the things you've done that you would rather no one ever know, you will actually receive honor from Jesus. You will be totally acquitted and counted righteous. Jesus will claim you as his brother, the father as as his child. Because Jesus obeyed for you. Jesus was ridiculed for you. Jesus died for you if your faith is in him. So as Jesus goes to the cross, so we turn to that next week, we see him as a willing sacrifice, uh, standing in your place uh, and taking your shame uh, because he loves you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you again for uh, your word that we've read and heard this morning. Uh, We thank you for the willing suffering of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for what it shows us of our need and our sin. We thank you for what it shows us uh, even more of your love, uh, what you are willing to do for us, um, because of nothing in us, but simply because of your love. Uh, Lord, give us reflection on these things. Help us to live in this today and the coming days. Give us some more, uh, more willing hearts to follow uh, our Lord who gave himself for us. We pray this all in his name. Amen.